In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Today, we're going to hear a piece about marriage and a marriage that has survived in the context of a decades-long experience of metastatic breast cancer. Before we get into the episode, however, I do want to mention two quick things to you. First, have you downloaded your free gift from me yet? I'm talking about the journal companion to this podcast that I created to celebrate our one-year anniversary. It's a free printable that includes writing prompts and inspiration from our first year's worth of episodes with the goal to get you writing your story. And as you're thinking about your story and writing your story, I want you to think about this. Wildfire Magazine's Identity and Aftermath issue is coming up this winter. This is an issue in which we explore the mental health side of a breast cancer diagnosis. As you tackle the prompts in the journal, think about how you've changed since your diagnosis. Has the way in which you think about yourself in the world changed? What does the breast cancer aftermath look like for you? Pick a moment that illustrates this transformation and write about it. Download your free journal at wildfirecommunity.org slash the burn and send in any submissions in consideration for publication to me by October 25th. More info on submission guidelines and small group writing workshops to find your stories can all be found at wildfirecommunity.org. All right, on with the episode. So when I was growing up, I heard one phrase from my dad over and over again. Whenever things were hard or didn't go my way and I wailed out, but it's not fair, he would gently say, whoever told you life was fair? Whoever told you life was fair? It sounds really harsh, right? I thought so too, as a kid hearing it. I obviously hated it. Of course, no one told me life would be fair, but did that mean it had to be so incredibly hard and downright mean? As I've grown up, I've continued to hear my dad's voice in my head. I know now that life is often inexplicably unfair. Bad things happen all the time to the most undeserving amongst us, and not for any reason other than that's just life. But what I know now that I didn't know then was that even though it might not be fair circumstances, we do get to control what we do next, how we respond to the injustice. The story you're going to hear today is one person's approach to taking unfair circumstances and turning it on its head, taking all the lemonade she can from those lemons. My guest today is Kate Crawford. Kate was diagnosed at 28 with stage four, HER2 positive breast cancer. She lives in South Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, with her husband, Steve, twin daughters, and her son. 
Kate co-founded a nonprofit called Project Sweet Peas to help parents with critically ill infants after losing her first daughter at three days old to severe birth defects. Kate shares openly about her struggles with life and motherhood from the death of her daughter to facing a terminal diagnosis of stage four breast cancer and all the fun mom moments in between. Kate has Lee for many syndrome, which leaves her susceptible to numerous cancers. She's been in active treatment now for nearly a decade and has over 120 cycles of therapies under her belt. As a result of her outlier status, she suffers from chemo-induced cardiomyopathy. She started a blog, The Mommy Bucket List, where she, her kids, and her husband created a family bucket list, and they spend their days checking things off and looking toward the future. Kate, welcome to The Burn. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks so much for being here. So you are reading a piece you wrote back in 2021 for our grief and acceptance issue called Broken is Not a Dirty Word. After you read, we're going to chat. Those of you listening, stay tuned to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's conversation with Kate. All right, Kate, I'll let you take it away. I dove headfirst into love, getting married at the tender age of 23. He was a dream with brown hair and blue eyes, older than me, funny, sexy, a good partner. We were infatuated with one another. We both had these amazing dreams for our lives that shattered before they could even be spoken. Our fairy tale marriage was not supposed to have metastatic breast cancer. This was not turning out the way I imagined it would. Sometimes I wish we could go back to simpler times before all of our scars and baggage were out in the open. Back before a doctor walked into my hospital room and told me that the cancer they found a few weeks earlier actually was spread all through my body, that she would try and save my life, but that I would likely die within a few years. I was only 28. We had finally started our family after so much heartbreak getting there. We wanted to grow old together. Now it was all in jeopardy of being ripped away. How could this be happening? Sorrow stung like a fresh sunburn. We did not just have to lament over the diagnosis. I quickly realized that I would be grieving my dream marriage. Cancer was not only going to change me, but it was going to change my husband as well. It would change how we interacted, how we were physical, how we raised our kids, how we viewed one another. Cancer absolutely showed us the for better and for worse parts of our marriage. It became a season of suffering for us each individually and in our marriage. This space of time is where we had to learn to wrestle all of these emotions to come out on the other side. We had to walk through this mess, each on our own path to find the other side. Each path was filled with different obstacles, sweltering feelings, and unbearable loneliness. Some days, our paths were aligned and we could walk side by side, but more often than not, the distance between us was like a giant cancer splinter. It undressed us down to our core, and it left us walking on our strenuous paths without shoes. Cancer left us weary, angry, bitter, and resentful. It completely broke us. Is it odd to admit that I needed to be broken, shattered, exposed, suffering, and vulnerable was actually what I needed, what we both needed. 
I realized that I had a very warped perception of what I thought life should look like and my marriage. Marriage is not a fairy tale. Grief touches every human. We are all just damaged souls trying to make it through life. I kept comparing my life to fantasy, though. If my outlook did not change, I would have set myself up for an even greater disaster. I had to allow myself to become this crumbled human to properly grieve the life I always wanted. And I found that allowance in the dust I became after my diagnosis. Cancer stripped me of everything I was. I was ground down to nothing, and that is where I had to rebuild. My foundation's new basis was that we are just two broken people, and we had to learn how to be broken together. I patched my life and marriage back together with threads of acceptance, each fiber containing something I was longing for the past few years. Hope. This was not the kind of hope that anchors your soul, as they say. It did not promise a new and better tomorrow. It was not hope that would make me forget all the hurt or erase my aching heart. No, this hope was tangible, palpable, and achievable. It was a simple hope, a hope that one day everything would be okay. And maybe not today or tomorrow or even next week, but one day I could see that it would be okay. Not perfect, not wonderful, not flawless, just okay. And I was fine with okay. And that is where we, eight years after my diagnosis, are at. We're okay. We have a new outlook on our marriage and life. We love without fear of the future and remember every day that we were never meant to be unbroken. Mm, We were never meant to be unbroken. Kate, that was gorgeous. Thank you so much for reading to us. I'm excited to dig in. Yeah. So let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll chat. Hi, my name is Tony Michelle. I'm from Austin, Texas, and I was diagnosed with breast cancer at 39. In the wildfire writing workshop, April took me to places in my memory I had thought I lost the key to. April is great at making you feel comfortable, and having this live class also allowed me to connect and share with others, which I am truly grateful for. Thank you so much for the love, Tawny. All right, welcome back, Kate. So when we left off, you had that gorgeous, gorgeous line, we are not meant to be unbroken. I'm so excited to dig into this with you. Thank you. Thank you. So before we get into your story, I feel like we should do a little update from you because it's been um, maybe like a year and a half since you wrote this, maybe, you know, give or take. Yeah. Will you just tell us where you're at right now? Yeah. Um... Treatment-wise, um, I'm actually coming up on almost 150 treatments, and <laughs> December will be 150. Um, my cardiomyopathy is actually doing very well. Um, my heart's functioning good. I have stable disease right now. Honestly, life is good. L- life is good for someone with metastatic disease. I-, I really can't complain. I'm trying to live as normally as I possibly could. I, I'm just so happy to hear that. No one can see us, but I just, I <laughs> want to reach through the screen and just hug you. I'm so happy for that stability. And 
Wow. That's, that's a lot of treatment under your belt now. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really crazy. Um, to think uh, 150, that's mm-hmm. it's incredible. Mm-hmm. It really, really is. Well, and so you're making me think about, you know, the end of your piece when you said, um, you just said this beautiful part about being okay and finding okay and finding acceptance. So would you describe where you are now as still, you know, quote unquote, okay? Are you better than okay than when you wrote this? Are you less than okay? Where where are you with the word okay right now? I think I'm just okay with the word okay. <laughs> you know, I think uh, life just kind of ebbs and flows and Sometimes, um, especially with metastatic disease, you have stuff going on and life is not great. Um, But then sometimes when you don't have anything going on, life is okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, What does the word perfect mean anyways? You know what I mean? You could say someone has a perfect life, but that isn't my life. And I think one thing I've realized is that I really don't want that perfect fairy tale life because no one has that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's maybe someone else's idea too. When we think about fairy tales and we think about perfection, it's created by someone outside of our lives, outside of our particular circumstances. And, you know, I, th- I think this word, okay, really symbolizes a lot of hope. Um, I'm going to share with you a quote that I find myself kind of rolling around in my head and I'll see how it lands with you, but it's this, I don't know who said it, but they said in the end, everything will be okay. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. And I'm curious what you would say about it. I've had to really grapple with that because for a lot of people, the end is death, right? And it's like, how right. how would that be okay? But right. Right. I've come to realize there is like layers of acceptance in there too. And there is. Yeah. Tell me what you think. How does that land for you? Uh, I've come close to death many times. I mean, I've held death in my arms. I've kissed it goodbye. I've buried it, um, having lost a child and then finally becoming a mother and having all of that stripped away from me too. Right. Like, um, my own mortality was literally just slapped right in my face. So, there comes a point in time where you do have to just accept that this is life. And and if I wasn't living this life, say metastatic disease was off of the table, there's still so many other things that happen in life. I mean, divorce happens, friendships, um, you know, other illnesses, there's life is just chaotic, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think no matter how many times we try to plan out our lives, it's just not going to go how we thought it was. It's so true. I mean, I've yet to meet a single person who has arrived at breast cancer having not experienced other hard cards dealt to them. And I mean, that's just life, right? And So you said this really interesting thing. I mean, first of all, your piece is titled Broken is Not a Dirty Word, which I think is so, so 
on the nose. I love that. And then in your piece, you also said, you know, I actually needed to be broken down. Can you, can you explain a little bit more about what you mean by that? I remember not too long after I was diagnosed, I remember being in the shower and um, totally naked. I'm staring at this body that has completely deceived me, right? Um, I am hating my body. I'm hating myself. I'm hating life. And I'm just sitting there crying. And I, um, I'm a very spiritual person. I just personally believe in God. And I just started screaming out, like, why? Why is this happening to me? Why am I going through this? And all of a sudden, I just had a very spiritual moment where I felt very at peace. Mm. And I was literally just ground down to nothing, um, all by myself, lonely, just every single emotion being just dust. And that was a solid foundation in which I started to rebuild my life. Yeah. I just, what I take from your story, Kate, is this openness to be broken. I think we have to have a, it feels very hopeful to look at that situation of creating a blank slate in yourself to create a foundation for something else to come and to see it as hopeful and not see it as the worst, the worst of the worst, you know, where here I am just like broken. Everyone else is going on about their days. All these other couples have these like, you know, fairy tale weddings and here I am. But I like that your approach to it was, okay, where can we go from here? You know, now, now I'm, I'm at this rock bottom and we can only go up from here. I just find that so hopeful. Um, I love how you said that because a good way to think of it, uh, right, is if you are a building with a cracked foundation or you're a home that's all cracked, you can't keep adding on to that, right, because it's going to just bust and break. So really the only way to start over is to demolish it, get rid of all of that stuff, let all of it out, let your brokenness, you know, just be ground down to nothing and then rebuild from there. Um, You have to get through those pieces, those layers before you can start, you know, going back up. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's interesting because I've, I had a really difficult childhood and sometimes people say to me, how did you, how did you turn out? So quote unquote normal, you know, in spite of that. And (laughs) I think it's a little bit of what you're saying. It's like, it gave me the opportunity to break way down and just build organically again. And truly, you know, if I hadn't done that work, you know, it might be what you said, where it's more like building on a broken foundation, but it was so, it was so humbling. It just took me all the way down to my core. Yes. That's where you find who you really are. Cause even when we're young kids, right, we don't know who we are and Mm -hmm. what we want to do and who we're going to be. And it's, it's always looked at as if, you know, it's a bad thing being that broken, you know, that it is this dirty thing when it's really not, it, it, it is not Mm-mm. at all. Well, it, it forces you to really take stock and decide, okay, how do I want to 
build up from here? Where do I want to go? And you did this in partnership with your, with your husband. I'm curious if you have any advice for others who particularly facing NBC, you know, are there lessons you've learned about marriage that you might want to pass on to someone else? I think the most important lesson is you have to accept, you have to realize and accept that you are not going to have a perfect marriage. And in fact, anybody that portrays having a perfect marriage to you is probably lying. Because even though my husband and I do have a great relationship, we are not perfect. And we argue and we fight and he gets on my nerves. So getting past that and realizing that was honestly the most important thing. Uh, Another thing is that men and women grieve differently. And that's what we're doing, you know, right? We're grieving. Um, That's just plain and simple what it is. And my husband grieves very, very differently than I do. Um, So even having talks with friends and they say, oh, like, you know, my husband, after we had a fight, just went to work and he just kept working and he wouldn't come home. But that was his way of grieving. So understanding how your partner grieves is another very important aspect to um, getting through something like a diagnosis together. Uh, such a good point. I love that you said that. And it makes me think too about the uh, one of the unfair aspects of having cancer be a part of your relationship is that he has a caregiver role. You have a patient role. Yeah. This is... It's unfair, right? Like you're supposed to just be like husband, wife, bride, groom, all that. But what you just said about the fact that you're each grieving separately also does imply too that you each have a different orientation to what is happening. You know, not to say that NBC is this elephant between you guys. Well, how would you describe it? Where where does it sit in your marriage? Is it off to the side? Is it between you? Where is it? Um. I would say it's it's both. I think um, in the um, article that I wrote, I described it like we were both just kind of lost in the woods. We're both on two different paths, right? Um, and each path has different obstacles on them. So sometimes I might be going over a hill and he might have like this beautiful path. Sometimes our paths align together where we're walking beautifully. And then sometimes our paths kind of you know, go separately. So sometimes that cancer is like a splinter in between both of us. Uh, But I think making it a point that it doesn't stay that way for a very long time um, is helpful, especially, you know, in the physical sense, right? Because you and your partner like to be physical with one another. And I'm not going to lie, at first, that was a giant splinter between both of us. I actually had to be the one that accepted my body for what it was. And once I did that and was like confident with myself and, you know, I didn't care that I didn't have any boobs, I was actually more appealing to him because I was more confident. Um, So, and he would like give me more compliments because he knew that I was more comfortable with myself at that point too. Uh, so just finding those moments where you kind of intertwine is really kind of, you know, good. 
Oh, 100%. And I love this metaphor of the path that you're describing. And as you're describing it, I'm loving your acceptance and trust that even if at times the paths are leading in different directions or, you know, he's going through a valley and you're on a hill and, you know, whatever's happening, that it will meander back and you will have these intertwining again. Yeah. That, Kate, that's beautiful. I love that so much. And I think it just really speaks to you and your experience that you have that trust that, that it will come back and it will intertwine. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Yep. Beautiful. It really well. Yeah. So last question for you. Um, are you writing these days? What role does writing play in your survivorship, your long-term survivorship? I'm not writing right now. Do I wish I was writing? Yes, absolutely. Um, in fact, I just, I had a really hard summer. Um, my son was actually diagnosed with a uh, brain tumor over the spring. Um, so having to have cancer myself, take care of myself, and then also have him, I was in a super dark place over the summer. And a few weeks ago, my therapist, she said to me, why aren't you writing? Mm. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. I know it's what I should be doing, but I just, I'm not doing it yet. Um, so I will say that uh, one of the best things to do when you are, you, you just need to get stuff out, like things that maybe I just don't even want to tell anybody. I know I can write down and just getting it out is going to alleviate um, so much of that build up for me. So I am absolutely hoping to get back into writing very soon. Well, first of all, I'm so sorry that, that this has um, happened to your family, but I also, even being a huge proponent of writing myself, I mean, that's what, what we're trying to do here. It, I have had times in my life where writing it almost made it too real. It made it too real. I can't think of another way of saying it. It just acknowledged that it was real and I wasn't ready yeah. for that to be that concrete yet. Yeah. Uh, I, and I will say even, uh, you know, in therapy, one thing my therapist has said is there's just some things that I just am not ready, you know, to go yep. talk about yet. Exactly. Well, and the beauty of it is that it waits, the story waits, yeah. the page waits, and we can enter it at any time. So I'm wishing you, um, I do hope you turn to writing and that it'll come when the time is right for you. Thank you. Yeah. So I want to tell everyone where they can find your piece and read it. So my guest today has been Kate Crawford. Her piece was called Broken is Not a Dirty Word. And this comes to us from our April-May 2021 issue of Wildfire called Grief and Acceptance. Kate, where can people find you or learn more about you online? Uh, they can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Kate Craw Mama. Um, and also on Facebook. Excellent. We will link to that. Well, thank you so much. I'm April Stearns and you've been listening to The Burn. The Burn's a production of Wildfire Magazine where we share breast cancer stories from young women like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's chat. 
Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode, to find our now 38 issues in the Wildfire Archives, and to take a writing workshop with me. There is no place on the planet like a wildfire writing workshop, and I want you to experience it for yourself. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story. And don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. If you like what you hear, please take a second and leave us a starred review or send me a testimonial recording. It would mean the world to me to help get the word out to those who need to hear it. All right, here is your writing prompt. Set your timer for eight minutes, write without stopping or editing. Growing up, I always thought blank. Now I know the truth, which is blank. Growing up, I always thought blank. Now I know the truth, which is blank. Fill in those blanks and then see where it will go from there. Eight minutes, write without stopping. Happy writing. Thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care.